welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Fandom Power. It's Wes here, and once again, I'm joined in studio with Andy. Hello. And all the way out in Halifax, welcome back, Hank. On your left. It feels like it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a little chitty chat, but I guess that's actually <clears> true because <throat> of other uh, other recordings and other issues and life and all that stuff. Yeah, wow. It's, uh, it's been a crazy uh, few weeks. Um, it has been. Halifax is a ghost town. It's, yeah. It's a ghost town i think it's because the the downtown area that i live in it's very like there's one road in one road out you know what i mean they do yeah so yeah yeah it's a very small place to have 600 cases pop up in three days wow um, yeah and so people are you know suitably cautious you know most people are wearing masks 100 percent of the time like obviously not at home or in your bubble or while you're driving although there are a few of those people well, we see that but, here too yeah um but certainly um when you can't social distance in that's public right, yeah. places, that's like sort of the mandate now. Yeah. They didn't do what they did last time, which was uh, incite panic by telling everybody that there was going to be a grocery shortage. Instead, they kept the grocery stores open and uh, uh, running at limited capacity. So, so <clears throat> you haven't, you okay. haven't experienced a, a rash of uh, panic buying <laughs> like we did here in Ontario the last uh, two times. <laughs> you no, know, like the, this time it wasn't so bad. Uh, we certainly didn't panic, no. and we did last time. I wouldn't say panic, but we definitely bought uh, a lot of stuff in, in, in anticipation of having to, like, lock the doors and not move for two weeks. Because right. we were hearing, like, in California, they had the the stay-at-home order, like the shelter-in-place orders in the United States at one yeah, point. That's... And we thought, oh, that happens. Similar to what you we know. have going on here. Right. And that's the word. But what we're trying to do here, I guess, is limit they're encouraging people to go outside, which I thought was kind of bizarre. Yeah, being outside where the, the risk is minimal, I guess. As long yeah, as you and are. as long as the groups are tight. No, yeah, you, yeah. you can't gather in groups of five or more. Uh, yeah. Five is the max. We've seen, uh, uh, you know, we've seen all of those precautions uh, to some degree or another over the last right. year. You know, and, and there's... Part of the problem is they're easily skirted. They are. Oh, for sure they are. And uh, we had, I don't know if you saw it, if the, the news reached you out there, but we had... 22 Dell students through a party the Friday night before the Saturday morning that the new rules went into effect. Oh, wow. And they got busted. Someone yeah. called on them. They got busted. And they're all over social media was the kids posting with the $1,000 fine tickets. We, we had something similar here in our area, whereas the, the local college, they did something similar. It, it was a, it was a, it was talked about like it was a student residence. Of course, the people who own the building were very quick to uh, point out to say that no, no, we are not affiliated with the college. We just happen to have, you know, we just happen yeah. to be a hundred percent student residence population. <laughs> yeah, no, that's well, <laughs> that happens. Like, that's yeah. We, yeah, yeah, we we sort of build towards that because it's the it's the market, right? They immediately doubled the uh, fine. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The two thousand dollars immediately. You'd figure they would have learned from this one because this one resulted in a death. Yeah, you would think, but it's just wild. Which kind of brings us back around to where we are now. And I, I mean, uh, I don't know for you guys, but f- for me, the the wealth of entertainment properties that are are going to streaming have uh, kept me uh, pretty sane <laughs> over the last yeah. few months, and I'm I'm quite happy for that. <clears throat> and 
I'm definitely happy looking at the release schedule between now and the end of the summer. There's lots of new stuff for us to consume and talk about. Um, it's perfect. But today we want to talk about a little show that came out just a few weeks ago, six, seven weeks ago now, because yesterday was the second episode of Marvel's Assembled, the, yes. make, the making of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today is our reactions and feelings towards uh, the series. So I had a chance to watch it uh, twice through. I watched it again this week. I, I watched it uh, contiguously, which I have to say right off the bat, I actually preferred to watch it six hours straight. It reminded me of watching the Snyder Cut, <laughs> only different. <laughs> but I found a lot of the jokes actually made more sense when you watched it, you know, all the way through. Because I'd actually forgotten the, that there was a joke in the first episode about Steve Rogers being on the moon. And so by the time we watch it the first time through, when that joke is made for a second time, you know, at yep. the end, we're like, mm-hmm. what? Steve Rogers is on the moon? Totally forgetting that it was a, it was a joke in the first episode. Moon stuff. Right. Yeah, moon stuff. Moon stuff. Moon stuff, yeah. And uh, certainly with the Eternals movie coming out, that bodes well. Doesn't it, though? All right, everybody. What, I, uh, do, what do we think, sort of uh, initial thoughts, overview, kind of, of the, the series as a whole? I was blown away. I won't say they almost lost me during the first two episodes, but certainly the third episode is where I was just like, wow, okay, this is becoming like they're going for something larger, something grander. And I guess I was expecting that from the last couple of Disney plus shows. So maybe my expectations of the first two episodes were a little high, but when we hit the story in, in the third episode, you know, like I was, I was 100% in, and like I said uh, during the the uh, the fan division thing, this is so much more my my hamburger and pizza versus yeah. like a a sushi, and I I got fat. <laughs> <laughs> like I watched this thing. I've probably seen it twelve times. Really? Like I watched the crap. Oh yeah. Like and I and because it was so short, I was able to watch like like I tried to do with the Mandalorian, but it was hard. Yeah. Was to watch episode one. And then watch episode oh, one, right. and two, one and two, and, and then, then one, one two, two three. three, and then so by the time I was watching episode six that Friday, it was yeah. at, I was watching it at two in the morning because I watched the other five episodes right, first, right in front of that, yeah. To, and so it was kind of like rereading the chapters of the book just to get to the next chapter, but uh, it's so worth it because I never got tired of it, and I saw so many little things, and one of them is the uh, the acting chops on Sebastian Stan blew me away. I wasn't expecting like like he's had his face, you know, three quarters covered for for two and a half movies. Yeah, and a lot of what they said in the uh, in the assembled really really hit with me. Where, where they were like they never he's never had time to like decompress Breathe. or deal with it. He's been fighting for ninety years. Yeah, and just the little like the eye twitches and the and the like man he's a great actor. Man, he's a great actor. Yeah, you know, as far as is, uh, so I have some thoughts about about uh, that character, about the Bucky Barnes character, and about Certainly. Sebastian Stan himself. First, <clears throat> first off, I'm going to talk about Bucky himself. Bucky is a character. Great for him to have, like I say, that room to breathe, and for him to be able to to act and to reflect and to process, like you say, ninety years of fighting and you know, coming to grips with what it meant for him to be the Winter Soldier. I feel like his story was a little underserved. I felt like, really, I felt like almost everything 
in the show served uh, to move Sam towards becoming Captain America. I know they tried really, really hard to let Bucky have his moment, but I feel like it was underserved and we could have, you know, I would have liked to have spent a little more time with him. You know, maybe some more, I know we didn't have to have a lot of time with him and the, the psychiatrist, but I, I like that dynamic that he's in, in treatment and, and, you know, he's getting sort of, I don't want to say head shrunk, but, you know, he's getting analyzed and not dealing right. with it very well. And, but you're right, Sebastian Stan, great actor. I'm, I'm quite happy with, uh, with his portrayal of the character. I can't wait to see where this character is going in the future. No, certainly, um, certainly with the two white wolf references. So now, yeah. And that has me really, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but that has me really salivating for the next Black Panther film to find out yes. what they're going to do with him because you can't not use him in that film. No. no. You know, will will he adopt the 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 White Wolf costume, or will he be uh, de facto the new Black Panther until you know someone like Shuri comes along and and takes over? So I'm I'm pretty excited to see where that goes. I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think that parts of of Bucky's storyline had to be truncated for COVID. Certainly, they they weren't as open with what got cut as they were with the fan division, but they, they, they have been pretty open that, that things did get moved around. Yeah. Uh, that the season got shortened, that certain elements had to be pushed forward into, into new things. And I really agree. And I was sort of worried by the end of the sixth episode that we weren't going to get anything from Bucky except for his, there's a, like, there's a way he was walking in the, the sixth episode. And just after the montage with the boat, the, like, after the training montage, Right, yeah, it was like a lightness to him, yeah, that you'd, you'd never seen with the character before, and then that's when I kind of went, okay, they jammed the catharsis in at the end, yeah, but at least we got it. I was gonna say the assembled episode kind of talked about his first, his first real uh, moment of being a hero, and I have to say, before we even saw that, as we were watching it, I actually kind of I, I caught on to that when he yeah. opened up the armored car. And let everybody out, and the yes. one guy, the end guy, stopped to say thank you, and and he made a point to say you're welcome, you know mm-hmm. that that's his real first moment. I am not the Winter Soldier anymore. I'm that's right. you know Bucky Barnes, the White Wolf, that's... or whatever I'm going to be. No, agreed. Like it, like they said, it's the first time he he uses his abilities not to hurt somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, he's even. It's got to be hard to be him, having cleansed that of his. You know, I mean, he's still dealing with the emotional ramifications, but he's the, the programming has been removed and now he's dealing with the aftermath of that. But then to have to play himself, when, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. as part of the most plot, that's like, like, that's mind blowing, actually, for that character. That's that's a, you know, and for him to pull it off, it, that's it's such a nuanced thing that little the looks yeah. that he gives in that scene are, yeah. are like, there's a scene where they're on the plane and Bucky grabs him by the throat. I'm, right. I'm not sure linearly where it occurs, but Bucky grabs him by the throat because he's he he references the the book and the name that's not scratched off. Right. And uh, when Bucky lets him go, because he doesn't even flinch, like I, I don't even know how the actor did that. Because if you came at my throat, I, I you'd have to yeah train yeah. me for ten years not to <laughs> flinch a little bit. He doesn't yeah. flinch. And then when Bucky lets him go, he does this like little half breath out, like yeah. And lets you know he breaks the you know he breaks it for the camera. It lets you know he was terrified in that moment, but he's such a badass villain that he didn't even show it one eye. Yeah, I know. There's a couple moments where uh, you know 
I actually said to Kim as we were watching it, I said, I think, you know, Zemo was actually scared there. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. 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 There's three times I could, if we stopped, if we were watching it together, I could pause it and go, there's the moment where he like. Yeah. There's one where he's got, he's got a pistol in his face and I'm pretty sure he's like, you know, pants go brown. <laughs> right. But then he does just before the trigger's pulled. Yeah. He nods at him as if to say, okay. Yeah. It's ahead. like, I, I've made my peace with this. And if this is the way it has to end, then that's the way it's going to be. He's a badass villain. Yeah. He's I'm an interesting character. excited for the dark Avengers. If they're going that direction. Yeah. Now we've got Val and we've got, uh, we've got us agent and, Zemo is the leader of that group in the comics, and I'm I'm kind of excited to see that guy play that character a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it going to be Dark Avengers or is it going to be Thunderbolts? Or sorry, yeah, Thunder. You're right, Thunderbolts. Yeah, they might do all three and Dark and Avengers just roll it into night. one. Yeah, all right. Well, he's going to the raft, and we know that Ross is at the raft, and yep. it's starting to make a lot of sense. What did we think about uh, sticking with uh, Sebastian Stan and Bucky Barnes? I kind of had to do a, a one-two, like a double take, like a what? When, uh, you know, Bucky's talking to Sam and reveals when Steve told me his plan about passing the shield that Bucky knew all along, but mm-hmm. we as we as the viewers didn't find out until that episode of the show. What do we think about that? It changes the scene at the end of Endgame because I honestly thought it was strange yep. that Steve called Sam over before but Bucky he didn't. Bucky says over there. Go. Yeah, so no, it's almost like true. Bucky's that's, pushing him. Yeah, Sam, yeah. that's, that's Sam. very true too. But I so so I I still thought it was weird that that the character that approached wasn't Bucky because that would be the more emotional connection for that scene. That's what I thought too. Right, and so what they were they weren't going for an emotional connection, although we got one. Yep. What I was talking about with with Lauren the other night is what they didn't do with Bucky was set him up like in the comics he was Cap's sidekick. That's right. Yeah. The entire war. And then they were both lost at the same time. And so you we never got ever to see Bucky be Bucky. No. We only ever no, got no, to yeah. see Bucky recover from being the winter soldier. I guess so you got you got a dynamic. You got that montage in the first Avenger, which doesn't right, really yeah, give you right. anything really towards no, character it's development. More of a Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah, right? exactly. And so that's what I felt strongly that, that if anything's a disservice to the character is that we never got to see him be a hero before his fall. Yeah. Which, which like star Wars style would make that fall and therefore that redemption so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 have I, to I would agree watch with that. a Captain America Bucky movie set back in world war two. Oh yeah. Easily. Watch the shit out of it. I will say I, I did appreciate this. I don't know if you guys saw this uh, a couple weeks ago. I saw a split screen of, um, Sebastian Stan in the in the Bucky Barnes uh, costume that he wore with the Howling Commandos, and it mm. was a side by side with the costume that he's currently wearing in the series. And uh, wow, they they really went back to that World War II costume, and the, and it shares some design elements. And it if you didn't know it, like you you got to see them side by side to get what I'm saying. But uh, right. I would encourage anybody who's listening to go out and if you're into that kind of thing, like the evolution of the costume go and have a look at those two costumes and see how similar they really are is a nice touch that they were able to to pull from that those design elements and bring them forward it was really good because he's his his whole color scheme in this is is that navy blue and they've moved it from the black and they're actually there's a there's a shift there where they like they move u.s agent to black and and bucky to blue you know like yeah and colors are always super important in comic books 
in the early comics, it's one of the easiest ways that they just defined heroes and villains with just like color palettes. And the story yeah. was definitely, you know, their actions and the, their words, were, but you could just, you could not read, you could pick up a comic before the time of reading and go, that's a hero Goblin is definitely a bad guy. That's right. Yeah, Superman yeah. is definitely a good guy. But I mean, you look at the printing process back in those days and, and the, the paper that they were printing on. And so that, I mean, there was a it's lot that came down to, colors. yeah, exactly. So, Heroes tended to be your your bright blue, red, yellows, oranges, and and villains. You know, always came in the purple and green. Purple and green. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny. Great. So I'm gonna stay with Bucky for a little bit here, and I didn't oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think we were gonna get to this right away, but I just I'm gonna get this out of the way right now. One of the things that took me out of the series the most, and bo- both times as I watched it, was the fact that the flag smashers and it's not really it's not really established on the nose that that all of them you know what their backgrounds are but i mean it's it's you know carly morgenthau has a moment where she's speaking to one of the other flag smashers and she's talking about her dreams of being a teacher so yes. that tells me right off the bat civilian you know what i mean yes i can't believe that even though the flag smashers were acting as the what the private security force for the power broker I can't believe that all of them were highly trained, you know, paramilitary types. And uh, so when we see the Flag Smashers going up against, you know, one of the world's greatest assassins, i.e. Bucky Barnes, and even John Walker, who is this special forces trained soldier, you know, super soldier serum or not, I have a hard time believing that they can all go toe to toe with these two characters. No, certainly Carly is a bit better fighter than she should be, like hand-to-hand combatant. <laughs> you think? <laughs> um, perhaps, like, let's, you know, I like the show too much to worry about it too much. Certainly she's Carl Morgenthau, the crazy yeah. big giant white yeah. and black flag smasher from the comics. But the idea to turn the villain into a child is brilliant because we want to protect her. I don't know. Maybe she was a Taekwondo expert. Maybe like, you know, child prodigy or something. Cause she certainly can, she could, she can scrap. And we saw that also uh, when she played Enfys Nest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the actress is definitely uh, key to that style of performance. I, I yeah, know. I, I, I could see it perhaps Terminator style, like resistance style. Some of yeah. those other guys, the paramilitary, some of them maybe brought her up to speed with basics. I know basics I, I would think that shit against the Winter Soldier, but well, that's it too. It's like you know, I get it. You know, flag smashers on civilians, or even private yeah. security forces, or like local police. But this isn't. These characters are on a whole other level, and so when you have ostensibly a civilian going toe to toe with the Winter Soldier, I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, it, a little bit it doesn't. The serum has been refined so that it doesn't change your physiology, just the actual, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that you could look like you and I, Wes. That's right. It could be a big crying. fat guy like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, with giant beards that yeah. live tanks. So with my beard. <laughs> I kind of like that idea because let's be honest, it's really hard to identify as it like, you know, I don't look like Captain America. And no. you, you start to understand how women have felt for eternity. <laughs> but then you see something like that, like, a, a, you know, the average dude. Um, I think this is why right. Die Hard was so resonant with film, like, because John McClane was just the average dude. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So I like that idea. And I also... I found Carly Morgenthau to be one of the first villains. I mean, Zemo certainly, 
I got like a personal thing with Zemo where I'm like, uh, Lauren calls me a Zemo file, but <laughs> she's one of the first villains where I was like, I'm 100% on board with her cause. Yeah. I have and to agree with you there. Like Sam, the, when Sam is giving that speech, yep. he's saying the words I'm thinking in that moment. He's like, I just don't agree with the way you're doing it. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, get out of my head. <laughs> get out of I my believe head. in your cause. I just, I can't fight your fight the way you do it. 100%. Yeah. Cause I'm, you know, I'm this close to being a flag smasher. Like, uh, like yeah, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the idyllic thin line. It's a thin yeah. line, like one world, one people who can argue with that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so they, they make that distinction where the, where the powers that be call them terrorists and they're corrected time and again, you have to stop calling them terrorists. And I think that's super important for the world. Yeah. 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 Especially that's now. super important that we rebrand that kind of idea because we don't, you know, the struggles that people have are, you know, well, like Sam said, he, he the uh, resistance and he thinks they're freedom fighters and the government yeah. thinks they're terrorists and, and somewhere is the truth. Right. But as Sam said, like, at what point are you going to take the actions of somebody and start asking questions like the why question? Why do you think that is? And I mean, that is it in a nutshell. Perfect. It's all about the why. Perfect. Why? It's perfect. It is perfect. Like I. I texted last night every that whole the last five minutes I'm a blubbering mess and it's been like four times because we go from we go from that speech that like your heart is soaring but it's like there's a tear because he's right and then there's a there's a little bit of a moment because you you know that they know he's right because he's a black man you know in New York City you know and even as as accepted as he is as Captain America he knows that all eyes are on him and that not everybody agrees with him i'm a black man carrying the stars and stripes and his first few statements they dismiss the guy the senator turns his back and walks away and he he brings them back like it's it's such a good speech which is why the little little moment where he's like well you're uh where isaiah is like you're no malcolm or or or, yeah 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 which is but that speech is serious go from that moment with that speech to bucky cleansing his you know what's left on his list to the uh the Isaiah Memorial, and I'm I'm like I'm a blubbering mess. Those three things, like wrapped up in such nice, like for a six-hour thing, we got a nice kind of bow at the end. Like, yeah, I agree with you. At the very end, that speech, I think it's a uh, the speech itself, completely, perfectly, totally answers the question why Sam Wilson is Captain America, and just like Steve Rogers, if you were to boil his his speech down to just one concept. It is the same thing as Steve Rogers, that Captain America is about justice and not patriotism. He is the Mm -hmm. complete antithesis of John Walker, who's John Walker's Captain America was all about patriotism and, you know, rah, rah and the flag. That's right. right. And here's what I didn't realize about myself and John Walker, the character in that moment when that, that truck, and I I can't, I think it's the second last episode. Sure. Maybe it's the last episode that truck was going off the bridge. Oh yeah. 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 It's the last. I yelled out loud the first time watching it. Do the right thing, John. Yeah, I, yeah I was yeah. like, "Whoa, where did that come from?" Like, yeah. I hate that guy. But I, <laughs> I, I, I needed him to be Captain America in that moment, right? And he, and he did. Did you catch the little part in Assembled where it must have been a previous take or an alternate take on that scene where Bucky is holding on to the door handle and he's screaming, "Help me, John!" No. Yeah. So there is no, an alternate I, take I in Assembled. Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Right. Might have been, a, might have played totally differently if they'd used that one in on uh, the final print. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and maybe that's what they realized was because Bucky grabbing the door and and yelling 
what I yelled ostensibly uh, would have removed my need to to do that. So yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know what I mean. Maybe more people had my reaction than than I than I know. But I I really did. I was like, do the right thing, John. And and when he did, I was like, yeah, right on, okay. Because that's another part of this whole thing that we can get into is that 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 John Walker, that speech he gives at the uh, beginning. No, at the end, right? When they're dismissing him. Oh, right. When he's being uh, punished, he's, you know, and he's like, "You, you did this to me. You, you made, made me. me. I, I did everything you asked." That's the that is, you know, every good soldier's conundrum. And and so I was like, "This, he's not a bad guy. He's a product of his environment. He's, That's right. He was a child before they did this to him, and now he's like, he's been given a nuclear weapon. Yeah, pretty <laughs> right? much. Yeah, like, yeah. And with no." Even the speech that he gives at the beginning, when he's in that locker room with his wife, yeah, and he's he's so scared and he's so nervous and talking he's just about like, just wanting just to do wanted, the job. This feels like the first time I've ever done anything good with my life. And yeah, he, it's genuine. He really wants to do something, knowing like that clear. even knowing that by that time he was already a decorated soldier. You know, three That's times right. over. And then you look at his his view of those decorations in that moment with Lamar yeah, when they're yeah. having, when they're having dinner. And he's like, I just three, three badges that, that commemorate the worst day of my life. Yeah. And, and how they have this perspective where, you know, Lamar is bringing him up and, you know, imagine what we could have done with that, that formula. And it's such noble reasons that he becomes the villain. It's crazy. It's crazy good, actually. Well, I mean, certainly the, uh, you know, the little uh, rough him up with uh, Ayo and the Dora Milaje, and I mean, his reaction to that and how stunned he is. They weren't even super soldiers. He was so... I got the impression of a bully on a playground who just got his ass kicked for the first time. Yes, absolutely. I don't want to say he got his comeuppance, but really, he, he got his comeuppance. And, and I mean, that just messed with his psyche on a level that, you know, if you're on the precipice on the ledge, that getting your butt handed to you was the thing that pushed you over. Yeah. And I also, I applaud uh, the decisions that, that were made with the, the John Walker's periphery because the show is primarily um, about racism <laughs> and how how we're going to move forward in, in a time like this. And the decisions, because you could have easily had john walker people interpret that as this black versus white thing and i'm glad that yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah. They, they did things like like he clearly went to a, a black high school and he clearly has a black wife and yeah yeah yeah. so you know what i mean so i'm i'm really glad that that's the case because it, it could have been steered in a whole different direction and it it was perfect if anything um, i think one of the strongest points of the show is how it addresses racism in america i think it's actually oh, man. it is so well it, done it's super well done. And I, I mean, that scene outside um, of Isaiah's house sums it all up. Yeah. 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 I mean, if, and on social media, watching people of color resonate with it too. Yeah. is is super good because that's what you don't want. You don't want, I don't want to interpret it as being positive if they don't interpret it as being positive. <laughs> gotcha. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. to see that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same lane makes me feel really good about the way I've, I've viewed the show. That whole notion of, and we've had this conversation before, both on the show and off the show, is that you and I, and well, the three of us really, as middle-aged white men, will never ever know. We can, we can never know. So no. yeah, you wanna, you do kind of wanna base your, you know, opinion sort of around people who who do know. And like you say, Hank, if it's resonating with them, then maybe they're getting it right. 
there's a thing that that uh, I can't remember Sam's real name. Oh my goodness, Anthony Mackey. Uh, Anthony Mackey. There's a thing he says in Assembled where he said like where Steve wasn't the white Captain America and I'm not the black Captain America. Just Captain America. We're yeah. Captain America, and that's and that's where that's the end game. That's the real end game with racism. That's where you want to go. Look at that man in the brown coat over there. Not look at that black guy in the brown. In the brown coat. Co- yeah, of course, of course. And that's and that's man. This story hopefully brings that really hopefully that that really opens people's eyes i hope there's some actual senator sitting there watching that speech going wow you've got to do better senator you've got to step up yeah i mean i in in a idyllic world i i hope so too i don't know how uh maybe that's kind of lofty <laughs> it's probably lofty. yeah it's a start it is it is absolutely a start one thing i, I really a garbage enjoy- can laid not a shield <laughs> One thing I really enjoyed that I didn't pick up on until watching Assembled, but I thought was written so well, and now because of Assembled, I understand why it plays so well, is how much of Sam's family life is based on his actual personal life coming up uh, in Louisiana. Yeah, that's kind of great. Yeah. One of my favorite Easter eggs, I don't even know if it's an Easter egg, it's just craftily written, was the boys calling him Uncle Sam in every scene. Uncle Sam. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. like, Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, you know foreshadowing or or yeah 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 perfect it's it's perfect it's the most diametrically opposed thing to that poster that you've ever seen but he's uncle sam right fantastic it was an interesting uh you know sort of character i mean the whole thing is a character study right i mean if anything even the big the the other entertainment outlets are calling it a a character study in sort of particularly sam wilson Mm -hmm. but to see sam and his sister go to the bank and, you know, that whole, you don't have any earnings for five years. He's like, well, I was yeah. gone for five years. And, you know, that the weight of, you know, these billions of people showing back up and, you know, just reminding you that, oh, yeah, the world is a very different place now. But at the same time, it's not. And that he's still disadvantaged by all of the the systems that are in place to mm. uh, to keep people down. I think Carly even references in a moment that, after the the initial snap everything changed it was a it was a better world people were going to countries they could never they would have been killed to be in before yeah even sam had mentioned that yeah like people were just happy to have other people around who were willing to put in the work and then suddenly half the world is back and refugees and and the idea and, and it didn't occur to me i mean it it maybe it was subtle but when the senator literally says you know, coming back after five years and there's a totally other family in your house, you think those people should be homeless? Yeah. And you're like, wow, wow, we're like, yeah. like You're really going it's, deep. <laughs> it's an impossible task. And it you're, is. You're seriously referencing the, the Palestine and, and Israeli situation there. Yeah. Um, and the idea of of sovereignty and who lives where and what belongs to who. And in Tibet, the Chinese have been occupying it since 1950. It's right. not even considered an autonomous place anymore. No, for years the, the youth and the political, you know, ad hoc government of Tibet, including the Dalai Lama, wanted just to be allowed to go back home and have been, you know. And now even the Dalai Lama says those those people that have been born there, there's 50 year old people there that that are that are Chinese now. Yeah, you can't go back and take their homes, and so it it really really brings into focus like what what is sovereignty what do you own where, where do you belong in the world and whose responsibility is, is it to make sure you're safe 
and if if we're going to give up certain rights and freedoms to the government then then sam is right it's their responsibility to take care of us yeah the whole um the whole notion of social constructs and i mean any social construct it really kind of mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you didn't question any of this stuff before, I think maybe after you watched it a couple of times, maybe you you would question maybe some of those social constructs. I hope so. I mean, that, yeah. I think that's what it was designed to do, and I really hope so. So let's move on a little bit here. I know there's lots of stuff to talk about, and, I, and we don't really have a format today, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Sharon Carter and her uh, arc throughout the whole thing. What do you think of her? It's the one thing I didn't like. Uh, I'm with you on that. <laughs> to the point where I actually made a I made a point last night when I finished watching Assembled to go back and watch uh, Civil War and uh I actually went I went back to the scene in The Winter Soldier to watch the scene between Steve and uh and yep. Peggy in her in her hospital bed to see yep. their their conversation and then I went and watched Civil War to watch the funeral. Yeah. And uh I am I get what they did and I and I know the the writers uh talking during Assembled we're really excited and I understand their rationale for, for writing her that way. Mm. But man, you know, as somebody who's not as versed in the comic books as somebody, you know, some of the other fans out there, my experience with Sharon Carter is exactly what I saw in the MCU. And so for somebody who was so motivated by her aunt, who is a founding member of shield, mm. I don't understand her turn. And it doesn't make any it doesn't sense make to sense to me. And even it's, like just putting a, putting her it's, story to me, it's a turn for a turn's sake. Yeah, I I agree with you. Putting her story together in chronology, the chronology of her story. Yes, she went from being a Shield agent to when Shield was dissolved at the end of the Winter Soldier. She she took up a post in the CIA. But you cannot tell me. You can't tell me that a word or two from Nick Fury himself would have smoothed over everything that was wrong in her life. Well, this is it. And they even reference, like, if the Winter Soldier can get a pardon. Well, here you go. You've, you've never done anything wrong. But I think that you might get something coming up that's a little different than what they're showing us. And maybe an additional twist. So the first thing that I noticed was that she never actually admits to being the power broker. In that no, moment. that's true. She just rolls with it. And I certainly think that's ridiculous. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> what, that I, she I never it. admitted it? <laughs> Well, no, no, that she's even that character. Okay. Um, just based on the comics and who the character oh, sure. is. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Different sets of comics and stuff. But yeah. And then to have, there's another thing coming up, like that happens in the comics that maybe they're going to st- sort of steer this towards. And that's, she had relationship with Captain America in the comics, the Steve Rogers character. But yeah, there was kinda, a, there was a romantic interest there. Right. Okay. And, which is weird because of the romantic interest with the aunt. Um, yeah. who is actually her sister in the comics. Yeah. They changed that too because they got to skew the timeline, right? Okay. Steve's only in the ice for 20 years in the comics. Right. 1940s versus... Right. Yeah. And so she flirts with Sam and like when he's out of his pimp clothes after Mad Report, he's oh, yeah. shirtless in the black yeah. pants. She's yeah, like, yeah. that's a better look. And she, she does a hair flick when she's talking to him in that scene. Oh, so, I never picked up on that subtlety. We're going to get Captain America and Sharon that iteration. Of, of of a romance okay um, yeah yeah and maybe just maybe she's telling the absolute truth when she says it was only natural to take my skill set and flip them this way yeah to just stay alive taking a skill set and flipping it to survive is a very nick fury thing to do yep yep but then it's all falls apart with the friggin phone call at the end yeah 
And it's like, who's calling her or who is she calling? She's on the phone calling somebody, presumably right. one of a, an underling. Right. And so, and then you're getting her going, well, so there's no more super soldier formula, but I can get, I can get uh, Tony Stark level. Yeah, yeah, tech, yeah. You know? Unlimited so, access to government tech. Right. And in the comics, the second iteration of the power broker was a tech broker instrumental in the armor wars. Okay. You remember the, the, the Iron Man storyline yeah, where yeah. Tony went around trying to. All the, all the villains that were, yeah. That had pieces of his tech or yeah. adopted his tech. Yeah. And so maybe we're heading in that direction. I don't know who's going to uh, wear the armor. I don't know if there's a new version of Iron Man in the in the comics, uh, if his daughter takes the mantle up or anything like that. Uh, Iron Man 2020 is Arno Stark, which is a long lost brother, I think. Okay. And all then right. there's also Riri Williams, who is Ironheart. Right. Yes. Who is yeah. That's right. basically a super smart kid that figures it out and builds her own suit. That's right. Yeah. And I know she's getting introduced shortly in some form, like maybe a cartoon or something coming to Disney Plus. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. she's already been introduced in the the latest Spider Man series, Maximum Venom. Oh, okay. Okay. She's in there. Nice. So sticking with Sharon for a minute, that scene in the uh, I guess it's the dockyard where all the shipping containers are when they're running around. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the knowledge that the low level people in her employ don't know her identity because she's, you know, outright murdering them and they have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, they are in so, and, and Again, maybe, maybe there's some like that phone call at the end. Maybe that's the power broker she's talking to. Maybe she's, maybe she's playing both sides. I, did you feel there was a disconnect and I'm, maybe this is just me pulling at straws here, but like, there's a couple times throughout the series where the Flag Smashers, Carly or one of her underlings, get a text message, and it's from the power broker. And I think the first one basically says, you stole from me, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Do you think there's a disconnect between those messages and the, the characterization of Sharon when we see her on screen? Well, certainly Sharon says, why don't you come back and work for me, which is different than... Then I'm going to kill you. And in what capacity were they working for let's say the power broker yeah. um cuz you would you had said the phrase earlier personal security yeah um but it, it begs the question of what level of training or combat did they have well or, this is uh, it right high yeah. school girl even yeah. have that before the super soldier serum ostensibly they were her security team right because they stole they from stole her. from her yeah. yeah so is it that they she gave them all a dose each and then they stole the other 12 doses or is it? <laughs> but who are they stealing it from? The scientist that she had locked away working on it for her, right? You know what it, I mean? Like so weird. It's it's that's very. Uh, does anybody remember that guy's name? That doctor, the scientist, Andy? You're pretty good at this. Do you have a name for me? And it's it's interesting because Zemo might have more to do with this than we let on because yeah. he is such a great villain. He he's the one that kills that doctor in that scene before the doctor yeah, can actually right. spill the entire beans, right? And that so, goes back to his motivations about not wanting, you know, super soldiers should not be allowed to exist. I would one hundred percent accept Zemo as the power broker in the yeah, background. Yeah, me too. Strings. Me too. That would be dope. While Andy's looking for that, I'm just going to carry on with the conversation about him. Mm. I'm curious to know. I have a strong, I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the elements that we've seen in the show, by circumstance or by design. We're gonna we're gonna get a little bit more on that in the upcoming Black Widow film, and I'm curious to know because that doctor said he was part of the Winter Soldier program. Now, right. are we gonna see that guy working for the Soviets in the Black Widow film in some sort of flashback? Do you think? 
Maybe. I mean, it's entirely possible. He recognizes Bucky in that scene. Oh, yeah. Because they even say, I'm sure you know who this guy is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know. Yeah. There's a few people that have seen Bucky before. There's a, in the Mad Rapport bar scene that one, the one bald guy with the beard is like. That's the Winter Soldier. Oh, you, you, you cut your hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like, he like knows him, knows him. There's a scene uh, when I went back and I watched uh, Civil War and they do the flashback scene with the, uh, the, the Winter Soldier program when they were creating them. Mm-hmm. And there were six, and That's one right. of them is a big bearded dude, and he's just on screen for just a split second. And I, I paused it and I turned to Kim. I said, "Is that going to be David Harbor in the Black Widow movie?" Because at the end of of um, Civil War, when uh, Zemo goes to the facility, there's only five tanks. The five tanks have a body. There's a, the sixth tank is empty or gone. Nice. So I'm That's like, really is good. that That's is is that going to be uh, Red Guardian? <laughs> it's got to be. I'm yeah. super that that just that scene made me super excited. At the same movie. time, you know, like you know, timeline speaking, the Black Widow movie is supposed to take place after Civil War, between Civil War and uh, and uh, Infinity and War. Infinity War, yeah. So I mean, David Harbor yeah. would have had to have aged and put on a lot of weight, <laughs> you know, in that time. <laughs> well, Although it is a flashback scene, so maybe maybe it's not so far off. Yeah, if they're crafty, they can pull that off. I know that yeah. it was supposed to be out already. Yeah. Uh, and that Val's appearance was going to be before this. According to, who was it, Julia Louis-Dreyfus? She was not aware that she didn't know that. She just knew that. Somebody yeah. said that. No, who didn't say that? Somebody said that they didn't know that, that that was happening, that she was actually supposed to appear somewhere else, that it's still kind of up in the air, rumored. Oh, yeah, well, perhaps, yeah. Maybe uh, the end credit scene from the... I honestly, while we're on that subject, I, I jumped around there a bit, but... I thought she might have been channeling a little too much Agatha Harkness. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Contessa, you in mean? <laughs> in her, yeah, in her, you know, she was. Yeah. I don't know if they were like, just be quirky. You know how like Agatha did it? Or, she did. I don't yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. I do. But I she's, do. you know, it's almost. I don't want to say derivative, but. Well, uh, I mean, it's well, not... let's see. She was only about thirty seconds of screen time. So yeah, yeah. So clearly, let's stick with her for a second. Uh, uh, just before you jump, your doctor is Doctor Nagel. Doctor Nagel, yeah. Played so by Ollie Haskivi. I'm going to be keeping my eye open for him in in the Black Widow film. I'm curious to know if he's going to connect to that. We have a date for that yet? July. I think it's July. Might even be July 4th, to be honest. I'm not sure. But it is July. Nice. Sticking with the Contessa here for a second, and let's go back Mm. to uh, the couple scenes that she's in. At the end, John's wife is sitting there in the same room where not only was he sentenced, but also where Sharon was pardoned. So... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He's in the antechamber in the back, getting into his new U.S. agent costume. So, yeah. begs the uh, question, eh? <laughs> what level of government is the Contessa working for? Who the hell is she? Yeah, because and that's a another... is that not a, a bit of a departure from her characterization in the comics as so. as Madame Hydra? Well, she starts off um, as the Shield agent that defects, right? Right. Well, she starts out uh, because they retcon this, but she's a member of a totally different enemy spy organization right and then meets nick fury and becomes shield well she actually she infiltrates shield and they retcon this but she infiltrates shield becomes a shield agent during her training and this this sort of happens uh before the retcon um right she beats nick fury in hand-to-hand combat during training and that's where they fall in love and then they have this whole relationship for the nearly the entire run of nick fury and helen commando's comic where at the early Captain America comics, 
she becomes the an agent of Hydra, and right. like, so it's a, it's a long it's a long slow burn in the comics actually. So if it, you know if Nick Fury is our Archie Bunker, then she's our mod. Totally. Okay. Totally. And Interesting. They, you know, if they ever share a scene together, there's certain the potential is there that they've had a romantic past. Well, now that now that you say that, I'm kind of like, I hope we see that. <laughs> and they even call her the something Nick Fury, like the anti Nick Fury in in Assembled. There, there's some way they turn a phrase there where they make her the they they say that she's the sort of the antithesis of Nick Fury. Anybody know what the deal is with her business card being uh, blank? I think that's very typical of uh, of a secret organization, ops, like yeah. operating. You know, she's nobody, but yeah. she's sitting there. You know. What am I trying to think of? I'm t- uh, like a guy in a in a lumberjack jacket and jeans, but he's got you know an AK-47 in a bag, and he's sitting at oh, a yeah. cafe in, yep. in Kabul waiting for an order. You know, but he's not yeah. a soldier. You wouldn't ever pick him out of a crowd. No, that kind of thing. Like Black Ops is what I got out of it. So was that was it a joke? Uh, I think it was. I think it was a dismissal. I think it was. I think it was actually a little indicative of her character. It's. It wasn't lost on me that it was black on one side and, and white, white on, on the, the other. other. Yeah. It also wasn't lost on me that the typical white flare in her hair. From it was, the uh, it was purple. purple. Yeah. Yeah. Which right? is kind and of that, like Victoria and, hand. Yeah. From the dark and, Avengers. And, oh, there you go. And her, well, and there's the, also the, the tendency to, to call the character Val in this, which is also another completely different character and love interest of Steve Rogers in the right, comics. Right. Val Cooper. Interesting. It's like mashing characters there. Like Carly Morgenthau is probably the biggest departure from the comics by completely, you know, gender swapping the character, de-aging them, making yeah. them, you know, they're, no, they're completely different, but identical in motivation, you know, motivation characterization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Well, so we, we're, have we're we hit remember a... I was talking about maybe we're, we, we were tied too deeply to the comics and how, how yeah. diverging from the comics would affect really heavy fans and i think that carly morgenthau is the is the first sort of dart into that map sure where we super diverge and it's fantastic i'm great with it yeah i'm totally okay with it too and i say that from the as much as i love comic books i've been apart from them for long enough now where i i rely on the expertise that you bring to the show hank and you andy so for me you know as a as the general viewer I'm quite happy with the the caliber of acting and the characterizations that we're getting. Aside from the little nitpicks that I have, I mean, they're all you know to some degree they're all they're all great. You know, generally speaking. Yeah, and I was super impressed when I watched Assembled that the the, the amount of CG work that's in this. Oh my god, I, I did couldn't not realize. Was, like yeah, I'm watching Falcon do barrel rolls and shit, and I'm going, no, I I know that that's CG, but it's crisp. Yeah, and then to watch them like just put his head on the costume in a scene where he's standing there. And I'm like, Oh, right. So there to, actually, there's a ton of CG work here to go back thing to where his mask was popping out. Well, that's it. Like every scene with him. Every yeah. Scene. Every scene with the captain America costume is CG to keep the costume flat on his neck. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the Velcro straps on the head. That's fantastic uh, that we've come that far to digitally that notice that crap to digitally insert the lenses on his goggles. Yeah. Because there isn't any. <laughs> it's just a strap with some open eye holes. <laughs> like that's easier to do now than to actually have red goggles. They say there's that, uh, there's a there's a video essay out there on YouTube. And it's I think the title is 
why CGI sucks, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it basically boils down to you don't have enough money or you don't have enough time or a combination of those two things. And this show is proving that, no, CGI does not suck. And like all of those little things that you don't even know, the costume elements alone you know, proving that CGI has a place and will always have a place in, in the future of, of filmmaking. But even bigger scenes like the set pieces in Berlin, where Man. it's not Berlin, it's a road in Atlanta, and we just digitally inserted every tree and, you know, made it look like Germany. It's like, crazy. Did you have any idea? Like, I no didn't. idea. Like, I was completely immersed. They, they totally talk about, like, John Walker ducks down and he's in Berlin and then he looks up and, yep. and we're in Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And, or, or, that's fantastic that they, you know, that we can do that and and have it be seamless for the viewer. We've had to invent new ways of making film during COVID and yeah, and seeing them go through what we went through as real people in the world, like the way our lives were kind of shook up yeah. at, at the beginning, and to watch them all be confused and panicked and not know what was going on and and have and then recover from their lives and move forward and finish the project. It, it, that's a great story in itself. I uh, I read a thing the other day that said that the estimated budget per episode on the show was twenty five million per. Great horny toad. So that's more the thing that it used to be. Then certainly, certainly, the budgets are there. Like so, if if we what was that one hundred and fifty million over six hours? Yeah. So a six hour that's, movie for that much? That's not bad. That's that's nothing. a good price. That's nothing. Yeah, not when you're talking I mean, like you, you talk know with the billions that it takes or the you know 250 or 350 yeah 250 million, million to, to solo. yeah exactly <laughs> right which yeah. i you know still hell of a movie but what you you know and this may even revolutionize the way we see films made because it's clearly it's possible to make them cheaper and have them yeah. look so good now i don't know about watching the winter soldier on a 60 foot screen but I can't see that it would, I'm watching on a 65 inch screen and it's yep. pretty damn good. So, yep, yep. and I think that you might see just a revolution in filmmaking. Like certainly what the, what Favreau and the team have been doing on Mandalorian with the, uh, the volume yep. is going to revolution. Oh, that, that is absolutely, you know, that every, shooting, right? every studio in existence is going to be developing their own version of that. There's no way. Right. In... I was hoping we'd see some of that in the, uh, yeah, me too. Me too. Actually. I'm sure the guys at the Marvel group are like looking at the Star Wars group going, can we borrow that? No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, but we've we've talked about it before, again, on the show and off the show, about COVID has changed the landscape uh, for movie going and certainly for television. But there is a, there is a line, a blurred line between, you know, how these uh, properties are made and, and that they're becoming more and more superfluous. It's true. Yeah, I mean the the show does play like a six hour movie, and and uh, like I said, we were t- we were texting back and forth uh, prior to doing the show today, and we both we all kind of were like, hey, are we re- we're all rewatching this kind of at the same time? And I yeah, said, yeah. I wish there was a way to watch this without the episode breaks in between. I mean, it's I can true. just hit the button and it's a few seconds, but still, just cutting out the the end credits and the opening credits. I'm like, this is really good this way. Yeah. When I finally watched it linearly, I was super impressed with how well it flowed into one another. And it even seemed like they made the whole package and then edited it to fit into its, you know, there's a, there's a, one of the writers talks about how they broke the story horizontally into episodes and then yeah. they broke it vertically, vertically into a big yeah. movie. 
and it, it you can really see that you can really see how they had this six hour story arc and then they moved it around to fit into its its slots yeah because yeah. you know it's easy to sit in a, a movie theater for an hour and a half and have a joke land from the first 10 minutes of the movie in the last 10 minutes of the movie it's yeah. a harder thing to make that happen over six hours like you said you didn't really catch it the uh the joke the joke yeah right until you watched it like that that's right and so I mean, yeah because we're six weeks in between that's right <laughs> or right? five weeks so in between you've got to be like an uber genius to remember everything yeah and i just i don't have the i can't my powers of recall are not that great <laughs> no not anymore no me neither so yeah no things like that are I'll, I'll say it to the day i die i'll die on this hill lost the show lost changed the way tv would be made forever yeah and even even movies because I think it, it let the people who made the shows understand that people weren't stupid. Right. That they would sit through episodic TV and yep. that the episodic could be smart and intelligent and quirky and that we would stay invested for years. And TV and movies haven't been the same since. No, they really haven't. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca organizers of the annual Toronto Collector's Platoon Toy Show. Check out collectorsplatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today. You're listening to Fandom Power. Can we talk a bit, a little bit about the uh, that opening sequence uh, in episode one, the uh, the helicopter chase? And I just mm. want to I want to focus specifically on the the inclusion of Georges Batroc. <laughs> anybody surprised at him coming back? No, he's a great great villain, and thematically, it's perfect for him to be the first villain that Cap fights, the new Cap. I think of the scene in the Winter Soldier when Steve mm-hmm. bombs out of that plane, no parachute, comes up out of the water and does that like running sweep of the entire ship, takes out everybody between him and the bow, and then has that that square off with with uh, Batrock. Epic. And then to see like, oh, we're gonna go round two, but it's a different Captain America, right? Or rather, at this Fantastic. point, it's still Falcon. Fantastic, and it, I mean, even that opening scene where. He, you know, just falls backwards out of the plane. It's so, you know, did he just jump? Was he wearing a parachute? No, yeah. he wasn't. It was very similar to that scene. Yeah, very, very. So Batrock's played by uh, retired mixed martial artist Georges St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. And I've seen uh, I've seen him in some other stuff. If you haven't uh, seen it, there's one of the, um, you know, Van Damme's kickboxer franchise. Sure. He appears in one of the kickboxer films. The same one that... Um, Oh my God, the uh, the guy who plays Drax, the WWF Batista. Guy. Yeah, so Dave Batista is Tong Po in that movie, and George oh, Saint Pierre. Yeah, George Saint Pierre plays one of the one of the fighters in that movie. That guy, he surprisingly he can act a whole lot better than you would expect. He plays sort of a a drunken, like a drunken, uh, you're like your drunk uncle in that movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> so to see him play the villain, and and again talk about room to breathe. You know, this is the most we've seen from Batrock in his MCU appearances. Kickboxer Vengeance. That's the one I'm talking about, yeah. Nice. What do we think of him in the, you know, overall? It's a good fit for him. You think? 
I really enjoyed it. It's it's nice to pull. I was hoping for more of that style, like big villains in WandaVision. So it's nice to yeah. have Zemo and Batroc. It's nice to, it's it deepens the lore. Like if I'm reading that comic, Batroc pops up 50 times in, in five years. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. villains reoccur. And it's, that's such a natural thing. Like, oh, I got to fight Doc Ock again. And so as a comic fan, it's organic to have villains pop up out of nowhere that you're completely familiar with. And and with him, it it's makes, nice because he is a villain, right? Like you don't have that same yeah. complexity that you do with Zemo or Morgenthal. That's exactly. It's just like, and yep, it's villain. Also, he's uh, for the budget constraints. Yeah. He's the, he's an affordable villain. Oh, like, for sure. Know, for sure. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to, you can't afford a Josh Brolin cameo, <laughs> but you could put George St. Pierre in there for five or 10 minutes and break even kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like so the acting it, and skill set all, he brings, right? Right. Yeah. These are all like astute decisions financially as well as, and it perfectly moves the story for it. He's the ideal kind of character that would, would take that job would. And it actually broadens because there's this thing in the, in the, in the Marvel universe that's like sort of underwritten and that's, there's this wealth of supervillains. And if you're one of the puppet masters or even a bigger level, you know, like Dr. Doom can pick up the phone and, and get, get these like, guys, you know, I need Scorpion and uh, the puppet master. And I need, uh, you know, I need three green goblins and a, and a hobgoblin. And, you know, you know, so there's this idea that there's this, there's a pecking order within the villain superhero, supervillain for hire yeah. tier. Where, you know, like, uh, what do we got today? Uh, well, Batroc the Leaper's not doing anything. Perfect. I'll scrap him, you know. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. His... Ace Pot Pete's available. <laughs> no, no, maybe we better wait. You know, in that kind of action. And yeah. even more so, I'm way off topic now, but even more so with random thugs. Sure, sure. Like that there's this, like, you could go on the dark web and be like, I need three thugs for a job at 930. I need some muscle. Need to Barrington at Salter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah. At some point, we so, do need the bar with no name. That's, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the, the idea, do you guys remember the Tick cartoon? I do, yeah. The Tick, he's great. He's stronger than anybody. They go to the supervillain bar. Arthur? All, all the sidekicks have to wait outside. It's yeah. <laughs> great. I So I like George St. Pierre. I like the character. Uh, I actually thought he was a bit of a joke in The Winter Soldier because he was just such a, you know, he was such a non-threat to Steve. Um, mm. but in this, he actually, he's a credible threat in this one. Certainly. Yeah. Well, and Sam doesn't have that extra punch, if you will. No. Um, so the, the fight's a little more even and then uneven because Batroc's such a better physical combatant. Yeah. Uh, that, and I really, really enjoy the way that they make, I call it the Falcon Kata, which is like his, his wingsuit accelerating his normal movements. So yeah, if that yeah. guy punched in the jaw, would certainly would hurt. But if he punched you in the jaw with a retro rocket on his elbow, it's going right. to knock your block off. And that's perfect. Those little, those little flares, his ability to, you know, flip and kick, but a suit assisted makes it really real. That little fight in the helicopter or on sorry, on the plane, uh, feels really real. All of those, uh, uh, elements of Sam using his suit. And that really, like you say, if you're a, if you are a non-superpowered superhero, you're going to use every gimmick and every advantage, like every little thing at your disposal yeah. to even the playing field. And it shows the evolution of the character. Like oh, he's, big time. He's, he doesn't do that shit in those other movies. He's learning. He's a, the suit is evolving. His connection. Well, no, I mean his better. his first outing with the wingsuit is all about guns. 
And then since we're on the scene, I got to talk about the first thing and maybe the biggest thing that ripped me out of the whole show was they knock Sam down. He stands up to get back into the fight and every single person, including the knocked out soldier, has a wingsuit on. Oh, no, not the knock. He's still wearing his camos, but right. everybody's got a wingsuit. Yeah, suddenly. yeah, In yeah. Four seconds. They all have wings. They're all wearing them. Like, Guys, <laughs> Wait, how'd that happen? <laughs> please like don't do Spider-Man web wings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that is, I mean, so that talk about set pieces and action pieces in the in the show and arguably there's only a few major set pieces the canyon chase being one of them the helicopter scene that we're talking about oh, yeah. uh wow <laughs> imagine being the sfx guy and get it reading the script and going what how are we going to do that gonna do this how the hell are we going to do that and then seeing assembled and going we just had guys in wingsuits jump out planes with with cameras on. Yeah. And we used some of that footage in the like yeah, that's fantastic. I love GoPro. that that uh Batrock rolling onto his back with the twin pistols was a practical thing. Yeah. That it was an yeah. actual guy doing that. I'm like, well, that's really impressive. Because yeah. when I'm watching it for the first time, I'm like, that's gotta be CG'd, but no, it's it's a practical yeah, thing. Yeah, that one thing wasn't CG'd. Uh and seamless they, marriage. Yeah. The one thing they touched on and assembled that I really that I really appreciated about that sequence was, you know, whereas Sam up till now has been a side character, has been a secondary guy, and has never really had a chance to have the spotlight and to shine, and that if they were going to do, you know, a a a, a Falcon dogfight per se, you know, it's gotta be the best Falcon dogfight that you can have. And and I think they really they really pulled it off. Nailed oh, it. Oh, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I kind of, you that know. exactly what it was. A you know, fight. Beautiful. The words Beggar's Canyon came to mind, you know, at that one point when they're ripping through the. Uh, Hell yeah. Through the canyon. I, and I had to imagine, you know, like, is there some. Who's a Star Wars fan here? <laughs> and so the, there's other things in this scene that I, I found disturbing, although they corrected as we moved forward and, and lauren actually helped me come to terms with a bit of it but i thought the falcon kills a bunch of people in that scene yeah he does when the helicopters are getting like, blown up like kills them no i mean like he crashes one of the wingsuit guys into a cliff oh that's true he uses a tether. he flies through the, the helicopter turns back around fires like a spider-man style tether yeah whips the guy out into open air over the canyon and yep. then cuts the tether yep and i was like I don't like how much these guys are just killing people. Yeah, it's a um, different dynamic, for sure. Because he's still and, at that point operating under, like, U.S. jurisdiction, right? Like, he's soldier. He's, well, yeah. Like, I, I get even, it. I get it. But for, for growing up with comics, and you too, Andy, and, and the old comics, Wes, there was only one character that took lives. Yes. Frank Castle. You mean the Punisher? Yeah. And that was the Punisher. Frank yeah, Castle. yeah, yeah. In terms right. of heroes, and yeah. It, it, if anybody ever took lives, it was a crazy big deal. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a defining character thing to push Spider-Man to that limit yeah. and then have him push back and never, ever go over the edge. And it became a thing for Daredevil. Daredevil actually killed somebody once and it was, it, it shattered him as a character. Cap has come close a couple of times and it's, it's the way that you pull, you go inside yourself and you pull back from that moment that, yeah. that, that has been a defining sort of thing of the Marvel hero right and so it did take exactly what you said and it did take lauren saying you know well they were on a they were on a military op against military trained combatants and you do see them sam doesn't kill the flag smashers those are just kids yep so he's he's using the appropriate force although i 
I still don't know if Captain America and the Falcon, like what would Steve do if he was there? I don't know. Have we seen Steve kill a guy in the MCU? Um, well, during the first Avenger, I mean, he's often Nazis. That's true. Yeah, because he's still full-on gun Captain America at that yeah. point, right? Right, yeah. right, right. But again, there you go. So the context is in the theater of war, you know, under wartime conditions. Right. So appropriate, right. Against, appropriate use of against force. Appropriate, against, like, the appropriate combatants. Yeah, yeah, where, you know, the Nazis are bad guys and the Americans are the good guys. Like, there's no... So then the question, then, I guess, is why not kill Batrock? I, so... But I think, you know, to, or I think he <laughs> would, I mean, if he story. hadn't had dove out the side of the helicopter with his wingsuit, he I mean, that that's right. Very well would have happened. Very well would have. On that sequence, that whole intro, and I, I, I paid attention to it the second time around because I'm like, wait a minute, this whole intro, the, the hijacking of the plane, they never really establish what was on the plane. What were they hijacking and taking the hostage? What was that all about? There, there's really, other than to give Sam Wilson this awesome like dogfight scene, there's really no, there's no, it doesn't exist for any other purpose other than to introduce, yep, here he is, it's the Falcon. Well, who was for it me, that it's got the James Bond took? In. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's the James Bond intro. Every yeah, James very Bond much. Movie starts yeah. with the end of another mission. Every yeah, yeah, one. yeah. Well, this and is so another... that's what it was for me, the James Bond intro. It's totally possible that this is just another seed that they planted. Like whoever Sam saved yeah. could pop up later, being of importance. Oh, I was gonna say, did you, did you know something I don't? Because <laughs> they don't. I don't. I'm sure they mentioned his name, but uh, I don't remember there being any major, you know, plot dropping. You know, I mean, other than to introduce Torres. I mean, Torres obviously is. You know, there is a plot thread that can be mm-hmm. expanded on later. Well, he becomes the Falcon right, in the comics. Right, So He becomes Cap's new partner, so. It'd be interesting to see, I mean, and after, you know, Walker tears the wings off and he just puts everything in a bag and Torres like, how'd these get broken? He never really answers it, but he's like, what do you want no. me to do with this? He's like, keep it. So, yeah, I mean, con- conceivably, Torres has in his possession the old titanium wingsuit mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. he may, who knows, down the road become and, Well, and he's certainly, he's tinkering with it at the table yeah. yeah, you know, as he's the, watching the, the speech episode after, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So no, I think that's sort of the destiny of that character for sure. I felt a little worried that that character was getting too into the flag smack. Like he had the app. He certainly was there at the the event, and he pulled the gun and got beat up. Had his ocular cavity, yeah, uh, shattered. But yeah, I thought that they might deepen that storyline by having that character connect deeper with the flag smashers. But then realizing who he actually was and that he's the he's the new Falcon, I, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm glad they sort of didn't do that. But I, I like I that he him. was kind of running point, you know, for Sam, you know. That's yeah, great. It was interesting to see him do that. But again, Sam talks about being, in the bank scene, he talks about having U.S. government contracts. So you, you are an independent contractor working for the United States military. Where does Torres get the, the, the breadth uh, and the the flexibility to kind of go and do his own thing. You know I don't what I know, mean? But like, I thought that the wingsuit was government tech. Well, that's what they tell him too about tracking them. And they're like, oh, we didn't track them. We tracked you. You hacked my tech? Sorry, it's not exactly hacking. It's government property. Yeah. And yeah. so at what point does the government just wash their hands of Sam having the suit and say, no, go be an Avenger, be a Falcon, be a, be a, you know. Um, I just presume that every iteration. Because I assume you don't have your weapon with you. 
like you didn't get to keep it and you don't get to use it at your own discretion right or or if it breaks you don't get to give it to me so that i can repair it and use it at my own discretion it's a little strange dynamic there well, you, this is and the they thing. sort of reference it by saying there's a legal gray area with the shield yeah i mean i really belong to i had that conversation with my wife as we were watching it i'm like if anybody has a right to it it's the wakandans do you know what I mean? Like, and you see, uh, you see, what's her name? Uh, one of the the Dora Milaje pick it up. Pick it up. Like they're gonna, she's yeah. gonna take it, and then they're like, yeah. leave it. Yeah, uh, I would also argue that that the Stark Enterprises would have some ownership over it. Again, where did they get the vibranium from? You know, no, I know, but like, do I own do I own my gold ring, or do, does the miner who took the gold out of the earth own it after I've already bought and paid? For the it? the big question is: Was the gold that your ring made of was it stolen? No, yeah, no, that's that's very the good. big question, deep. right? <laughs> it does, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And inevitably, it probably all is. <laughs> oh my god, where was gonna? Oh yeah, so talking about Sam's wings for a second here, I want to go back to that because I just assume that every iteration of Sam's wingsuit after the first were just re-engineered by Stark. I assume that you know Tony just made him a new because every evolution of the costume it got more refined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and the whole Red Wing More thing, than just and all. A paint job. Yeah, because they they are completely not completely different, but they are evolved and they're more streamlined and they're more more accessories and more features. Yeah. In, in Civil War, or, yeah, uh, sorry, is it uh, or Winter Soldier? So it's like a backpack. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's more of like a bodysuit. It's worn like a harness, like a parachute. Oh, and can we talk about how when he deflects the fucking helicopter on the bridge? Oh, yeah. Okay, that so that's pretty cool. Vibranium, bro. Yeah, exactly. But you knew that as soon, <laughs> as soon as he said to Io, you know, I'd like to, you know, call in one last favor. You're like, oh, yeah. he's getting new vibranium wings. The, see it in action, man. When yeah. He holds the wings over himself and the and the shield up. on top. Bounces off him. Oh, it's so good. Cap shield like the mushroom cap on top. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So the whole tracking him, I'm like, oh, so the it's we are to believe that it's been the same wings right from the get go, like. Again, now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, yeah, that kind of takes me out of it too. <laughs> a little. I mean, perhaps the, the the main part of the wings or like, you know, maybe Tony tinkered with the chassis or sure, sure. or something. But he also uh, in he talks about being a part of a program. Yeah. Where they're, you know, and uh, if we get into a broader MCU, the the vultures, you know, tech is is not like that, but the Vulturians certainly uh had falcon style outfits in the web of spider-man comics right. when they're a bunch of different vultures so maybe we can get some cool stuff with that that type of tech too certainly we're going to see a young avengers movie uh now that oh my gosh yeah yeah we're like uh we've had three or four characters now that are there's already background. been some uh set photos of um the new hawkeye the younger hawkeye oh, very good yeah yeah and uh, um, isaiah bradley's grandson is a patriot yeah Isaiah Bradley, I can't think of the actor's name, um, mm. but for those of you who are thinking you, you've you heard him before, uh, you have. Carl Lumley. Yeah, so Carl Lumley was the voice of the Martian Manhunter on the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited series. Fantastic. Yeah. Loved his characterization. Loved, you know, I can't imagine what it was like for them to to dig up, like to, to pull that emotion forward when he's talking about, you know, being imprisoned and being experimented on and like the, you hear the pain in his voice and he was just such an incredible performance there's a telling line at the beginning of that just before he gets into that which is like 
Sam says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, if you're a black, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Don't lie to yourself. And that's, that's something we can't understand. No, nope. but, but watching those people have an open conversation about it, kind of conversations that we would never be yeah. privy to yeah. is really nice. And to see that there's a way of thinking about the past and that there's a way, there's a, there's a different way because it, Isaiah is, is Sam's conscience. That's what he serves. Uh, yeah. His purpose in the, in the story. And there's that moment when he says like no self-respecting black man would ever want to be Captain America yep, yeah. where you're like, I don't understand, but that's, that's gospel enough for me coming from that character. So what does Sam do with it now? I felt like, that that was just one more push, you know, like Sam is, you know, he's a, he is a reflection of Steve Rogers on some level. And that's mm -hmm. where I say that, you know, Captain America is about justice and not about patriotism. And so that's right. when they talk about, you know, carrying the, the stars and stripes and, you know, fighting for a country that won't fight for you, that kind of thing. I, you know, I feel, yeah. I look at Isaiah Bradley as, you know, philosophically being the antithesis of, of Sam Wilson. Right. You know, but Sam needs to process that. He needs he to, Oh, he does for sure. He does. Like he needs to, well, and we, as the viewer need that spoken. Yeah. We need to hear it. We need to hear that that that's the trepidation that they face every day that on the surface that they're part of, uh, of the greater whole, but that they don't feel that way. Right. That they've been marginalized and that their trust is gone. And so it's wonderful to have Sam find a way to fight against that and, and, and be willing to keep fighting against that because uh, we all know what it's like to, to keep fighting and be too tired to, to carry on. Yeah. And when, it, when it's every single moment of every single day of your entire life, I can't even begin to imagine how exhausted you would be after a lifetime of that. No, I can't either. You know, it's too bad we don't get to spend more time with him because I think, and I haven't read the the, the comic arc, but I would love to see what uh, Captain America, you know, of the Korean War, what he's about and what he's doing. Hell yeah. And the statue might have even been a younger... Oh, it totally was a younger generation, man. And so... Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason we couldn't get that show. <laughs> so let's talk about the museum for a second because that is that is one of the shining moments of the, the story is when they take Isaiah and uh, his grandson over to the Smithsonian and you see that now the Captain America exhibit has been expanded to include his section. Why is he not depicted as Captain America? Why is he depicted as Isaiah Bradley, you know, soldier? They never implicitly say that he wore the, the outfit. Oh, he... so I guess I'm just making that connection to... From the comics. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, super soldier. That makes sense. And so he lays it out when he says, like, I broke out of the facility yeah. to go and rescue my so yep. tops he had on hospital greens. Yeah. Um, maybe he went and grabbed his his uh, olive drabs and his boots. Well, I but mean he, right? Like um he got punished for doing the exact same thing that Steve Rogers did with the Howling Commandos. One hundred percent. Yeah. 100 percent. although steve didn't have to break out of anywhere anymore. he just he just decided i'm going to go and do it even though i'm part of the uso tour <laughs> that's right yeah 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 a trumpet player just went and rescued <laughs> the museum i thought was fantastic in it you know there's so much you know we spent so much time on our uh on our fandalorian series digesting all of the language stuff mm, mm. this the camera moves so fast and there's the density is so dense that you can't read everything on the walls. And I want to, no. I want to read it yeah. all. I want to, I want to go to the museum. Kim, Kim found, <laughs> I seriously would love to go to the museum. Kim saw one that uh, the headline was the final mission. And it's, she's like, Oh, I want to know what that says. 
And I'm like, God damn, you're so right. Like, I want to read it all. Like, conceivably, these, I guess that's plexi. Uh, it looks like it's etched. Mm. The production has gone out and made these things. They're, they're practical uh, set pieces. They have to exist somewhere. Yeah. Hopefully, there'll be some high-res imagery of what those things say, because I would love to read them, you know? Mm-hmm. I really loved, he even re- references the, uh, the Tuskegee experiments with the, uh, yeah. which were, were horrible, horrible things that they did to black men with syphilis experiments and things like that. And yeah. they, they take that and they turn it on its ear a little bit and they turn it from, from a horrible disease to a surgical formula that may or may not kill you. Right. And uh, that's a great little turn. I love little turns in comics or in movies where we take a completely real thing and we take it right to the end and then we twist it so that it means the same thing, but it gives us our little sort of uh, genesis for, for yeah. a hero or yeah, a yeah. villain. And I really enjoy that. And that's that's a great moment. It brings it really into the world because if anybody goes out and researches that, prepare to be completely shocked and horrified yeah. Uh, yeah. by what human beings can do to one another. Yeah, absolutely. What do we think about uh, Zemo talking about uh, the Sokovia Memorial? Uh, I don't know about specifically, but in broad strokes, this show is super good at yeah. keeping everybody gray, yep. except Sam. Yeah. He's a victim. Everybody's a victim, but hardly anybody is playing the victim here. He's a victim to some degree, but I mean, I guess if you, you have to remember, he was, he led a Sokovian death squad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. So it's true. there is, he does have that going, not going for him, I guess. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, the but whole what, what crimes leads a, against a guy, humanity. what leads a guy there? Like, like, you know, that, that scene where he's talking about like his, his father, the body of his father holding the body of his, his wife and son. Or sorry, his wife and his son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what? you, you sympathize with that. You do sympathize with that for sure. I mean, anybody, we, we don't know. We have no idea what that would do to our psyche. And all we can do as human beings is try to empathize. And they do a really good job of creating villains, except Batrock, who's the straight villain. Yep. Uh, of being villains that you got to question. Like, because of a D&D guy and a, and a, and a Robotech like, sure. role-playing kind yeah. of guy, I always look at characters in terms of their alignment. Yep. And Zemo yep. is lawful evil. I would agree with that. He's, he won't lie to you. He'll tell you the truth. Yep. I mean, he'll even lie to you and then tell you that, I'm sorry, I lied to you. Yeah, I lied to you because. Right. And, you yeah. know, I don't hold any grudges, Bucky. Again, you know, James, I don't hold any grudges about what you thought you had to do to me. Right, exactly. He still doesn't even think he's wrong for no. creating a murderous, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's So, you know, we've I've said it a couple of times and, uh, you know, talking about Captain America is a symbol of justice, not of patriotism. They become symbols, icons. If Zemo is not the opposite, he's a symbol of patriotism and not of justice. Sure, he. You know yeah, what I mean, like I mean he, he's the. Uh, how do you live with what you? How do you? How do you live with the actions of knowing that you led a death squad? Well, you did it in the name of your country because your country told you to do it, and you thought it was the right thing to do. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, he still has ties to that. That and that's what that uh, going back to the the thing is indicative of uh, standing there at the memorial. And then, funnily enough, actually, did he go to the Sokovia just to stand at the memorial and wait for Bucky? Yeah, I asked. <laughs> I asked myself the same question: Was he just going to he's just going to wait there until he shows up, or this is right, just right, a big right. a big happy accident? <laughs> I also kind of like the way that they made him the 
ostensibly the evil Batman of the MCU. He's got Alfred. He's got oh, I know, a private yeah. plane. He's got a, a crazy uh, toys and cars. So what, you've been you've been rich this whole time. I'm a baron, Sam. My family was royalty until your friends destroyed my country. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, I am a baron. Yeah, it was yeah. good to get that element in there, though, because we as the as the comic going audience already know that Zemo has this Baron you know, Zemo. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And now we have a Baron and a Contessa. Yeah. And so all we need is an Archduke, <laughs> and and we're we're away to this. Uh, you know, I don't think we're done with Hydra. I don't think so either. I think Hydra is too big, uh, too pervasive across the the Marvel properties to to you know not. What just popped into my head. No, go for it. What if Sharon Carter's a scroll? Well, so this is that is a secret <laughs> invasion is coming. There, there was some talk it, that, about it justifies that. all her actions suddenly, just instantly. It goes well. That's actually not even Sharon Carter. I've done so. Unlike Wandavision, I haven't been as as sort of uh, eager to jump online and and look for all of the the in between theoretical stuff. But that is yeah, one of the few that. Yeah, that is one of the few things that that I heard theorized that she might in fact be a scroll. Oh, cool. Well, I like that. It yeah. feels good to be on the same page as what yeah, other people yeah. are thinking. I did that on purpose this time, uh, not go on Screen Crush or watch yeah, anything, yeah. news or anything. And I had this conversation with Lauren. It was I was like, I need to interpret this myself. My yeah. peers, my my bubble is one thing, but I don't want I don't want people telling me what I think I feel about this. No, show, no, I yeah, know yeah. that I'm easily influenced. And after having watched it and sort of gone, this is how I feel, and then went and checked out a few things to see if I was tracking with black community, if yep, you will. Yep. And I was like, oh, I, okay, I did understand it. Good. I didn't, I'm not viewing it as a, you know, <laughs> no complete moron, right? Um, <laughs> well, throwing back is, to uh, good. the line about have you visited the Sokovia Memorial, yep. with as much as it's touching on like actual real world issues yeah is that not another like an uncomfortable poke at the avengers about accountability yeah yeah for sure it is like you know you guys came in you did your part but have you gone back well, yeah they even they even show the uh the clip from the other movie where he's like then the avengers just left they went home which is the, which is that story that you get from all the people that are on the receiving end of a liberating force oh yeah yeah, right? yeah. So they, uh, these people have come to help. They're bringing food. They're bringing water. They've got rid of our unstable leaders, and now they've gone. We saw a little bit of that in uh, going back to the the WandaVision connection back in Civil War, the opening sequence in Civil War in Lagos, where uh, she goes to contain the explosion when uh, uh, Bone Bone Crusher. Oh, uh, uh, Rumelow. Uh, when Rumelow is about to explode, and then she tosses the body. She tosses him up into the air, and when it goes off, it levels an entire floor of a building, right? Right. You know, the- Crossbones. Crossbones, thank you. The collateral damage, right? And the, it's one of those things that's not really addressed is the collateral damage when heroes go out and and do the avenging. Do you remember (laughs) Damage Incorporated? Damage Inc., yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. The comic that was the guys who cleaned up after the superhero fights? There was talk that was going to get a series. That would be great. Yeah. There's a Spider-Man comic- from a couple of years ago where there's a, I think it's Gene DeWolf, the cop. She's chastising Spider-Man who just broke up a, a diamond robbery. Right. And she said, you, you know, you just cost $4 million in damage, saving $150,000 in diamonds. 
Yeah. These are like, whoa. <laughs> these are questions that I mean we you don't really think of, but the the reality is there is I don't want to say collateral damage, but there are other damages involved when these things happen. Well, there was a meme that popped up yesterday, yeah, and it said Gotham City reels as Batman uses a tank to take on a clown. Oh yeah, and it's just like <laughs> so you know true, taking yeah. it to extremes, yeah. but uh, well, this is it. Great example. Uh, just to segue for a second here, I don't know if you guys are watching Invincible on Amazon Prime. So good, bro. So if you watched the new episode yesterday, talk about collateral damage as Mark is basically levels a portion of Chicago. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, heroes and uh, the civilian population, it's very much like, uh, you know, when there's a military operation, there's bound to be, you, you try to minimize it, but there's always going to be some level of, of damage. Right. Yeah. Whether it's loss of life or infrastructure or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Even Spider Man uh, Homecoming touched on that with, uh, Adrian Toomes and his his uh his, his crew. crew was a yeah. take on that. They were they were cleaning up the damage left uh, you know from yeah. the uh the the New York invasion. Yeah, they yeah, yeah ostensibly were damage incorporated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that brings us down to the main crux of the show and it's the you know the Sam Wilson character and and his journey towards becoming Captain America. And we've sort of we've danced around it uh, a little bit through the course of the conversation but his transformation per se is really full circle, I guess, or, or, uh, fully embraced by episode, well, I guess five when he, uh, I don't know if the, the moment is when uh, Bucky drops the, the briefcase there on the back I, of the truck. I or... think the moment is when he, uh, opens it in the, yeah. and, the and he's cut staring to black. at black. Yeah. 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 Like, you don't get to see it yet, but you know exactly what's you know in it's that coming. Case. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it, r- really good uh, story arc for a character. And, you know, he's in comic book, in your mind, he's relegated to that. Like we, I personally, I don't think of the time Sam Wilson spent as Captain America in the comics. I always think of him as Cap's one-time sidekick. And, yeah, and yeah. especially the, the 70s runs of the Falcon, Captain America and the Falcon comics, where they were like Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Where they were like an inseparable team. Right. And they they did deal with heavy racial issues in that comic. And they took them from like it made them street fighters rather than like these like global, you know, we're going after Hitler. No, we're going to go after drug dealers in yeah. this episode, you know. And so to see him actualize and and resonate with me as Captain America because I I never did gravitate to that in the comics. It's super refreshing to have that that take and that to bring that home and go. I have no qualms about like that's Captain America. No, um, me neither. You know, I they didn't I even fully need to change it. the title at the end for me because I was already yeah. Like, it's Captain America. It's Captain America. <laughs> yep. Which I is agree. why I had no you know when I was like the fandom in the Winter Soldier. Does that not exclude? captain america but it actually makes him everything it's what it's what he's about and and at the end of the day you could paint anything you want on that shield oh for sure yeah yeah right and that's i think that's that's beautiful can we just contrast this for a second here i want to contrast sam up against john walker and i'm I'm going to start with steve rogers was engineered to be what he was and then you have this you know Fast forward to John Walker, who says, I'm just trying to be the best Captain America 
I can be. It, there's a line where he says, I've put in the work. I've done the work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sam never says that, but so has Sam. Sam has done the work. Yes. But like Steve, it wasn't about the work. It yeah. was about the core of the person. Yeah, the core like of the Steve being. Steve yeah. at his core is like top level, right. trying to be the best it's, human he can be. It's yep. one of those things, and it's kind of similar to what I say to some of the kids at, at my, that work for me. It's like, if you're putting in the work, you don't got to tell me that you're putting in the work. You can see it. I could see it. Yeah, for sure. You don't got to tell me you did a good job today. I tell yeah. you when you did a good job. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. 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 Work speaks for itself. It's it's funny though too because like you say like I look at them as being on some level as being two sides of the same coin, you know mm-hmm. they've both you know had these like monumental journeys that are radically different but yet similar on some levels. I mean Sam was in the military, in the Air Force, and John was a you know special forces operator guy, and so sure they have some some commonality there, but they're again that that moral outlook is slightly different for both of them and maybe that's would john walker have been a different uh a different person had he been the sidekick to steve rogers probably yeah the influence would be heavy yeah yeah just like it was for sam yeah certainly there are parts of john's character that were were broken when we were handed to him yeah he was handed to us he's that and and you can relate to this he's that 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 soldier that came home from the war that you know, well, why are there any problems? Like, look at your, look at your three medals. Look at your beautiful family. Yeah, look, yeah, at yeah. The, look at the accolades. Look, you're alive. You have all your limbs. Your friends are here with you. What could possibly be wrong, young man? And he's that abandoned child. And I didn't really realize that until I, until I was yelling at the character to do the right thing. And when he yeah. did the right thing, I was like, there's still, there's something left in him. There's something left in him, and yeah. And, and there, when I when I went back and I read some of the U.S. agent stuff, like he, he he killed for the first time after his parents were murdered, right? Yeah, yeah. Him. That's um, something that's glaringly absent from this adaptation. So I mean, his motivations are aren't no necessarily the same as that that comic iteration. Yeah, I don't think they wanted to Uncle Ben him. No, no. You know, it's it's a little rote everybody's parents die and then they become a superhero. But I think by creating that, I honestly feel like he's even more of the opposite of Bucky. Do you think so? Well, in so much that Bucky is seeking some kind of cleansing to, to, to things he's like, if he's got some form of PTSD that needs to be addressed, yeah, yeah. he's, he's working the problem. And, right. And Sam says, you got to do the work. Yeah. You, the work you do. In. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's another reference to that line where John says, I put in the work, but he hasn't been putting in the work to exercise those demons, if you will. Right. And I feel strongly like that, that there's a very diametrically yeah. opposed arc to both those characters. He talks about right. in that interview, I think it's the interview on episode one or episode two when he's on the football field mm-hmm. and talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, she asked him about his interaction. Like, did, did he ever meet Captain America? And he's like, no, but I, I've studied him. You know, right. so here's a guy who, yeah, he's doing the work. He's doing the work, just like in the the Senate chamber, they made him. He's been doing the work that mm-hmm. they've asked him to do, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, he's done it well. He's ostensibly he didn't approach them and been like, "Hey, well, since there's no Captain America, can I do it?" No, he was picked. Right? He, he was, was picked. picked. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. 
this is an immense amount of pressure on him to to live up to the expectation of what Captain America is supposed to be. And that's and what then, he says to his wife. They have yeah. no idea what it takes to be Captain America. No. Because he has no idea what it takes to be Captain no, America. No, no. He's he's totally struggling with that. And I mean, it's, and it's it, again, flip side of he and Sam are two sides of the same coin. They're They're both true. walking the same path. Just with different experiences, Sam struggles. Even Sam with... doesn't know what it takes to be Captain America till the very end. No, no, you're right. Right, yeah. And yeah. it's you know it's about wearing that that mantle and realizing that it's not about the United States of America. It's about justice. It's about yeah. what's yeah. right and that, what's never right. ever faltering. From, That's right. From yeah, that. yeah. Even Sharon in the in the funeral scene uh, back in uh, Civil War basically parrots Peggy's a line from Peggy about uh you know and you can see Steve and he's basically nodding with what she's saying when she says uh, you know Pe- uh, Aunt Peggy would say about doing the right thing and sometimes even when the right thing you know when what you're doing you're told is wrong but you know it's the right thing and sometimes you got to right. you got to dig in it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree look them in the eye and say no you move and he's like yeah and that's the moment where he's like I'm going it alone <laughs> You know, yeah, same yeah. kind of or similar kind of thing. That's right. I'm just gonna start calling her Scrawl Carter now. Yeah, really. Let's see where we land, Agent Scrawl. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, have we uh, have we talked this out as long as it can go? Is there more that we're missing? We skipped I over something. There's a, a billion things we're missing in the nuance, but I kind of liked the format of this show because yeah. more than more than little things like Zemo's mask, more than not liking Agent Carter being the power broker possibly Mm -hmm. i got a feeling from this and this show it brought me to tears it lifted my spirit it's it gives me a sense of hope for the future and i hope that people actually watch it and realize that there's like that this isn't just about guys punching each other in the face no yeah there is way more this is actually one of the first times that they've tried to club racism over the head and they did a really good job. All of the the stuff we've seen in the fan community over how uh, reinvented or reimagined properties are, are coming out the gate as being overtly uh, woke and socially conscious. This is one that that does it so well that it doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel it's like for forced. the sake of, yeah. yeah, I, ca- yeah. I call it pandering. And do I feel pandered to? No, and not at all. I, I have a few friends of color and that's one of the questions I ask them about things. Yeah, yeah. Like my friend Ron from Brooklyn, uh, I asked him, do, do, when you watch Luke Cage, do you feel pandered to? Like It's a good and, question. And, and, you know what I mean? And it, these are the other things that is going to help racism go the F away is that yeah. we, we need to sit down and have uncomfortable conversations oh, with yes. one another. Yeah. So when I said that to him, he was like, what do you mean, man? And I was like, <laughs> like, did you feel like that was just because they needed to for the sake the of doing it? Yeah. For, yeah. And he was like, you know, that was the first thing I ever watched where I was like, I felt comfortable because that's what my neighborhood looked like. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there was one white guy in my neighborhood when I grew up and I was like, that's what I needed to know. That's right. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Because the last thing I want is for women to feel like, they're just being handed a female character for the sake of a female character. Right. Right. And, and the last thing I want to feel like as a, as a, as a native person is that they're going to just pigeonhole, you know, a Johnny Depp into playing Tonto. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And so I don't want to feel pandered to, I want it to be genuine and 100% I didn't, this was genuine as hell. 
I would agree with you on that. Andy, you were going to say that we missed something. It's not so much we missed something, but two two things. All the social, political issues and really important message aside, there's some fun stuff in there. Yeah. Like the Zemo cut. Oh my God, the dance. <laughs> Release the Zemo so cut true. and they did it. The dance. There's like, what is it? An hour an long? An hour long clip. An hour long a move. video of him dancing in the club on a loop. <laughs> really? Yeah, there is. <laughs> I got to go check that out. Because there actually. was a meme that popped out and it's... Uh, the Warner Brothers line, and it's like reestablish the Snyderverse. Yeah, and DC says no. Yeah, yeah. Marvel community released the Zemo cut, and Marvel says, "Here you Here go." You go. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, I guess let's talk real quickly then about Madripoor. Yeah, yes. let's do it. And the deeper uh, the connection, the, connection. To the, the meaning. <laughs> yeah, that that has. I thought and Sharon Carter was a misstep there, simply because of Madripoor. Yeah, like there's right. another brilliant opportunity to bring in the whole X universe. I saw and we could have had even an innocuous character from, uh, cause there there's, um, I can't remember her name. It's not Eureka, but there's an Asian connection that Wolverine has a female That's Asian right, yeah. character from Madripoor. And that would have been the perfect person to have there. Although it wouldn't have resonated so closely to, you know, cause Sam and Bucky both know her. So that, that helps that. But there, um, also the fact that they call it the patch act. And that yeah. patch is the name of Wolverine That's in right. Madripoor. Yeah. And that Wolverine is actually a string puller in Madripoor. He's not he's not Wolverine like he is back. Like he's he's like, remember when the Hulk became Mr. Fix It in Las yeah, Vegas? Yeah, yeah. He's that guy in Madripoor. Right. So when they when they dropped Madripoor, I stood up. And then when they like announced the patch act, even uh, even just the name, I know it's probably not that, but even the name, and I was just like this is the largest rod that they've thrown into the X-Men pool yet. There was an interview between uh, the head writer, can't think of his name, and uh, Joshua Yale from IGN the other day. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he hit the question like right on the right on the head. He's like, so um, any was there any discussion around Madripoor and having Wolverine show up, you know, because he lives in Madripoor, you know, has lived there at, at certain times. And uh, the writer, he's like, listen, he's like, you know that there's certain things I just can't tell you. He's like, but I will tell you that there were all kinds of conversations around Madripoor and how they were going to use it. And he just kind of left it at like, I'm not going to say anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would I would take away from that that there are plans from the, the higher ups at Marvel to uh, revisit Madripoor. In, in I have a, watched uh, the scenes in Madripoor at a low frame rate, but I've not yeah. been able to pick out a Wolverine. Nothing. They've hidden there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or even on a spray paint. Even yes. I was looking at some of the, sp- the graffiti on the walls, looking for a Wolverine. Always looking a, for those little Easter eggs. Or yeah. Mutant or something. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any other, was there any big Easter eggs that we haven't talked about? Oh, I mean, there's so many scenes that were parallel to movie scenes that I lost count. There's so many legacy lines, if we want to use that, yep, that yep. I lost count. There was uh, one I thought they were going to throw in, but I'm glad they didn't. And it was after mm-hmm. Sam's speech. Yep. I was expecting Bucky to say, you know, did you just think of that or did you write that down? <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I was hoping that Sam would give Bucky on your left at some point. You know, I'm a big fan of that that on your left thing, you know, it was that, you know, Sam, when uh, they're doing the run around the, the reflecting pool and it's like, come on. Right. And then it, mm-hmm. we fast forward to uh, uh, end game and it's like, uh, hey, Cap, on your left. And I thought, oh, when they wake so, up in the, when yeah, wakes up. 
when everybody came back. I thought that was so. So nice. I was really kind of hoping for that uh, because of the line in the first episode when they're going on the mission together. When when Bucky's when he says uh, you got a plan, and he's like, "No, Buck, I don't." And he's like, "You don't call me that." He, Steve, Steve called you that. Goes, yeah. yeah, but Steve had a plan. Steve and knew so, me longer, and he had a plan. Right. And so I thought that maybe the on the left thing would be a way of of having them one hundred percent connect that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would have yeah. been fun. I would have accepted it. Do we like the idea of them as a as a you know the buddy cop trope? Do we do we like that? Do we think that they're when, good? When the writer described the the tiers of action. Oh, on the, yes. on the on the 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 on the, the buddy cop the meter thing, from Russia, right? Hour to, and when he yeah. hit, yeah, and when he hit lethal weapon at the middle, yeah, and understanding that as a fan, you don't remember you're a fan of those films until someone says lethal weapon, and you're like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, lethal yeah. weapon, being the highest pinnacle of the buddy cop movie in my opinion, and saying that's what they were shooting for, and then rewatching it in that context and going. Oh my God! This is lethal weapon with superpowers. I thought he 100%. was, you know, going. He on the one spectrum, on the one extreme, it was like forty-eight hours as being like the ultra, like the highest, probably most revered buddy cop movie of all time. To like right. ride along on the other end, being like the <laughs> yes, stupidest, yes, right? Yes. And they wanted to be right down the middle, where they were this even mix of of comedy to serious. And I think they largely pulled it off. The, the scene where they they interlock legs. Yeah, in the, in, you know when they're having that they're having yeah. a standoff in the in the therapy session, but it's in a police interrogation room. Yeah, yep. And, is that close enough for you? Other, yeah. That that stuff reminded me of Riggs and Murtaugh. So oh, very, much, yeah, very much. Yeah, especially in light of them having extra. You know, and that's what I say when I I I, I go. I'm heavily influenced by other people's opinions. Yeah, so I kind of want to have my own going in. But the second they said lethal weapon, I could like, oh yeah, it. of course. Now, at any point during the series, did Bucky drop "I'm too old for this shit"? Oh, no, that would have been great. Wouldn't though. it have been? He got the yeah. he got the feeling that he was too old for this shit, though. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, well, when he's having the the discussion, the the conversation in the bar with the the waitress about how old are you, and he's like, "I'm ninety, whatever." He tells the truth. It's great. Yeah, like he just <laughs> doesn't even great. like doesn't bat an eye. I'm like, I'm ninety six or however old he says he is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty great. Interesting to see I, um, him uh, to see him skirt around romance or love interest, even though it never mm-hmm. panned out. Be curious to see if he actually gets, you know, some kind of will he find love down the road? Maybe it's just me like, as as the romantic of the of the group, but I kind of hope that he gets, you know. I really like Sam's family. I really like that little scene with his uh, sister. But don't flirt with my sister. Don't with flirt with sister. my sister. Yeah, and, and more more than that, Lauren loved that scene with his sister. So as soon as she introduced herself as Sarah, and he's like, and he, you see him smile. Sarah. He says it a second time. Yeah, if you've ever flirted with a woman, you repeat their name, and it's something else. Buddy. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because you want to remember that person, so that's really yeah. cool. It's really cool, and the the fact that he's like, "I'll I'll chop you up and and I'll have Buddy feed you to the fish." <laughs> yeah, to if the you fish. Hit my sister again, because no. if you do, I'll have Carlos cut you up and feed you to the fish. It definitely tells me that they're if they're going to keep that character around, and I hope that they do, because she was a fantastic uh, moral compass yep. for yep. Sam. That uh, that we get to see her and Bucky have a little thing there for sure. I mean, everybody deserves happiness, so why not him, right? And uh, one of my favorite things I got to end on is that I have this, he's not really a friend. I've known him for a long time. He's an employee and he's one of the worst human beings politically and socially that you could ever, like he's a Trump loving, just Muslim phobe, just, and then 
to top it off, he's super intelligent, which makes him scary. Dangerous. Oh, dangerous. Yeah. Because he can interpret the right wing rhetoric and spit it back at you. And, and you've actually got to be on your feet to defend yourself and, and defend what's right. He refuses to watch the show because of the black agenda. Oh, my God. And that actually couldn't make me happier. Yeah, stay away from my it, thing. It, well, Stay and, away from and, the thing and, I love. And, and I don't want those kind of people spitting their vitriol into no, the No, I do not. About it. No, I so don't So go, go watch whatever you want to watch about Hitler. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, and, and to actually, because I asked him, because he's, he's a smart cat, and he's a fan of superheroes and Star Wars and things. Right. He's, he's got that horrible toxic fin thing oh, going okay. on yeah and so i was like have you seen it yet and he's like i'm actually not gonna watch it and i was like why and he's like he cited two reasons and one of them is so ridiculous he said he watched a clip of the dating the the date scene with bucky yep and that and i guess this is a right-wing interpretation or a, an incel if you will interpretation of this scene but she says uh what do you think about dating and he's like well it's all uh it's all tiger pictures yeah and so tiger pictures i guess on tinder are what gay men are posing with oh and so i took that to mean when it was explained to me i took it to mean like he just didn't know how to navigate the website that's kind of what i was thinking yeah right but what these other people and and this young man have interpreted this as that bucky's gay bisexual or gay okay and that they're like oh they're jamming this down our throat and i'm like man you are like if you want to read into something, read into Zemo's mask. Like, don't like stop, stop harping on the yeah, the, the yeah. utter surface of things, and dive into something for once. Like, if you're going to be intelligent, be intelligent about something that matters. And really, if that is what it is, who cares? Who cares? Right? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Just wait like, until they introduce Wolverine's kid. Oh my God. Who cares? All right. So the the series just wrapped up last week. We've had assembled in that time, in that one week, didn't take very long. Uh, no. we, we had the announcement for uh, Captain America 4 uh, mm-hmm. with with the writers from Falcon and the Winter Soldier attached. There's even, a, there's even an interview out there with Anthony Mackie where he talks about it. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. Anything yeah, good? It's kicking from around that? out there. Watch it. It's cool. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's nothing. There's no spoilery stuff. He's super excited to play the character full out for the first time kind of action. You know, uh, not have to evolve in the character, but to then be the character that is evolving. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain America was such a prolific uh, figure within phase one and phase two. All the phases, really. Yeah, phase He's three. been prolific throughout the MCU up until now. And I'm curious to know if he will continue to have that same pervasiveness going forward because all things are really pointing towards this uh, multiverse concept and I'm, I'm curious to know how this this show which really grounds itself in everything that came before it how it's going to be able to move forward if we're going to just is it going to be uh, you know back to you know television was there going to so be in media chris evans has said he's done with the character I'm holding out that uh, he's coming back for something. Much like Tony, like uh, Robert Downey Jr. said he was done with the yeah. before you had three more films. Well, yeah. But I don't know. I see Chris Evans on social media video chatting little kids with cancer. Yeah. And doing happy birthday greetings to little girls who are big fans. And I see that guy acting like Captain America in the real world a lot. He's kind of, he's had that reputation for a while now, yeah. And I just like... 
he, Steve Rogers isn't dead in the comics. I think he and um, the rock are going to make good running mates for the presidential uh, <laughs> race. <laughs> so if we, if we go back into the end of end game a little bit, sure. Just real quick. Yep. Steve Rogers as a 70 year old or 80 year old man is sitting on a bench there with the shield. Yeah. He went back in time, ostensibly created another timeline where he acquired the shield. So did he acquire the shield before that Steve Rogers went into the ice? I know. And is there still a Steve Rogers stuck in the ice? Well, that's just it. Right? In the timeline of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a timeline like where we where we had Captain America, where he died saving the universe, uh, and where there's a new Captain America. But are there not still two Steve Rogers? Because while Bucky says he's gone, they never say he's dead. And that could be something and they touch the, on at the beginning of the film, right? Like a proper. Is there funeral. either not still a Steve Rogers in his thirties? with a shield frozen in ice or is there a steve uh, rogers is on there the moon? a steve rogers walking around on the moon right moon stuff uh, <laughs> well, yes yes is the joke not so, a joke <laughs> and i have no and, and especially it, it's a joke when i was like i heard captain america was on the moon and another guy at the end of the show references uh i thought he was captain on the moon. america but the the telling part is i gotta go new moon stuff yeah, the joke, moon stuff. The joke, like moon stuff. I'm going to do moon stuff, like you know. And we so, we've already seen, and it's not it's not a hundred percent on the nose where exactly they are. But when we see Nick Fury at the end of is it Captain Marvel? Yeah, we know he's in space. Is oh. he on the moon? No, it's at the end of uh, Spider Man. So, yeah, so Far you're from right. Home. Yeah, right. Is he on the moon? Or is he at the sword space station? Well, this is what I mean. Like, what... Seeing as they twisted up sword for WandaVision. Right. So in the way that they reimagined a lot of the stuff, is sword going to be reimagined as a moon base instead of a satellite? Could be. Uh, space station? Who knows? I but never yeah. watched any of the Eternal, or not, sorry, not the Eternals, but the Inhuman show. I just but... went and watched the the one season, and it's, it's okay. okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah, and yeah. is it... Are they moon based? They are. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then so that's got to play into. I mean, you can't just you can't have a, a a forest full of Ewoks and never encounter them if you're on Endor. That's right. Yep, yep. Yep. Right. So who who knows? Who knows? I don't know, but I am definitely looking forward to uh, what the future holds for the MCU. It's uh, it's as big a powerhouse as it's always been, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Nope. Disney Plus shows revolving properties from my childhood. Yeah. Three for three. <laughs> three for three. Yep, me too. I can't wait for Tuesday, boys. What's on to what's this Tuesday? May the fourth may be the with fourth. you. Oh, okay. Bad yes, match. I forgot all about that. <laughs> That's can't true. Lie. I can't wait. Which can't means wait. a return to our regular song stylings of our uh, beat by beat uh, episodic review series as we dive into the bad batch as we promised we would. So Woo-hoo. that's gonna be fun. Lots of other things coming up here on the show. We got our first uh, big collaboration coming up here soon. Super uh, excited! We're gonna be we're gonna be joining the guys from the Reflex Point podcast, the Robotech podcast, where we are going to have our next round of fantasy casting call, where we are going to uh, try and and uh, cast the live action Robotech movie. So join us for that, as well as everything else that is in the pipe. Anyway, guys. I think we had a really good conversation about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It was a fantastic show. I, I expect I will go back and rewatch it again because I liked it that yeah. much. 
I got I got four days till the bad batch. I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> exactly. Well, I could always uh, continue talking forever on the physics of time travel. Oh there. my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> really hash out where Steve Rogers actually sitting. Yeah, I, really. I got see. There's an official explanation just before we wrap. There's an official explanation from Marvel about that that twists my brain up because I, I think they create a cro- a closed loop and 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 the writers say no, but I think they cause a, a huge conundrum there <laughs> for me. Yeah, we could argue the uh, the physics of time travel and multi-dimensional things all day there. But uh, they're going to hash it out on Loki. They'd have to. Yeah. That's, there's time uh, cops apparently in that. Yeah, and it's Owen Wilson. <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Wow. That's pretty great. All right, guys. Well, that wraps another episode of Fandom Power. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. And uh, lots more to come in the future. So for the show, I'm Wes. I'm Andy. I'm Hank. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good one. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. I have is that I believe we can do better. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>